0: through in our country. He's able to carry us through everything. I'm going to kick this on. Well, tonight we're going to be in uh, Romans, Romans chapter number one to start with. And uh, just a, I I kind of want this to be a brief message because I want to have some extra time together um, to pray for Vacation Bible School starting this coming Sunday night. Um, but the, uh, the message is entitled, Praying for the Lost. We're going through the blueprints of prayer, looking at the different prayers in the Bible and learning lessons from each of these prayers. Uh, tonight we're not going to look at a prayer per se, we're just going to look at a man who did pray for the lost. And uh, we find this in uh, Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 1, and uh, real quick, uh, we're in the book of Romans. Who, wh- wh- What person wrote the book of Romans? A, a, a man by the name of Rome? No, it was uh, Paul. Somebody said it. The Apostle Paul wrote Romans. And uh, here's what he said in, in Romans 10 in verse number one. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and here it is, prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So he had a desire that they would be saved, and that he had, and he, and he took that desire and he turned that into a prayer, a prayer request and, and a prayer to God uh, for Israel and for his brethren uh, to come to Christ and be saved. Now, in the epistles, Paul wrote, we find that he prayed for several churches and believers. But he also prayed for the lost to come to salvation in Christ. Um, we actually spent some time uh, in this series studying a couple of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, um, and uh, we, we learned lessons about how we can apply that to our own prayer life as we pray for one another here at Cornerstone. Uh, but uh, he also uh, had in his prayer life a prayer time for the lost for Israel, and he had a burden for these people, so much so that um, if you can look back to chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 and verse number 3, well, let's pick it up in verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. And he said, "I'm just I'm burdened down by this." We talked about no burden last Sunday. One of the bushels that covers up our light, Uh, this no burden. Well, Paul had a tremendous burden to be a light, and uh, it was a heavy burden, and it was continual sorrow. And he says, verse number three, this is this is crazy, but uh, this is what he said: I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My kinsmen according to the flesh. And what he was saying there in verse number three, says, I kind of wish that if it were possible, if, if the Lord would work out a deal, that uh, I would go to hell and the rest of my brethren, the Jews, would come to Christ, I would take that deal. Now, I don't know that I would take that deal. <laughs> I don't know that I would make that offer. But Paul said, if, I wish that I could do that. I wish that I would be accursed. I wish that I could be separated from Christ for all of eternity so that they could be saved. And he had such a burden in the heart for them that, uh, of course, he made it a prayer in his life as well. And uh, I came across a thought this week that, that uh, really hit me right in the heart. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, and it goes along with this here this idea of praying for the lost and here here it is and I'll put it up on the screen as well we often pray more for saved people to stay out of heaven than we do for lost people to stay out of hell we often pray more for saved people to stay out of heaven than we do for lost people to stay out of hell and and when we pray for saved people to stay out of heaven, when we do that, it's like people who are not doing well physically who were saved. And and uh, we have we have big prayer meetings to try to, hey, Lord, please help them to recover. We don't want to lose them. And no, there's nothing wrong with that. But we do that more than we spend time praying for those who are on their way to a Christless place called hell. And uh, that was a pretty convicting thought that I came across this week. Uh, Because I know that I am guilty of that personally. I'll uh, spend more time praying for those who are going through physical trials and difficulties who know the Lord, and uh, those who don't are just kind of a cursory thought in my mind. And obviously, don't get me wrong, praying for believers and for their health is a good thing, and we're even instructed to do so in the Scriptures. Uh, James tells us to pray one for another, and it's certainly something we should be doing. And even if you, but, but, but even if you look at our prayer sheet tonight, and you look at the health needs, and then you look at the salvation requests, um, it's probably two or three times as long as the salvation requests. Again, not saying we shouldn't pray for the health needs, but um, Paul here had an understanding that, hey, salvation is important, and we need to be praying for those who do not know the Lord to come to Christ. Now, tonight, I want to just encourage us all to simply have a balance when it comes to praying for people. Again, not saying we shouldn't pray for financial needs and for job situations and um, you, know, you know, pray for my uh, so-and-so who is going through this trial. Certainly, those are worthy prayer requests, but let's not neglect the most important one, I, I suppose, is the salvation of our loved ones and friends and, and family and, and those around us. So tonight, I want to share with you five practical ways that we can pray for the lost. And I want to try to do these uh, quickly. I think we can, but let's let's try. All right. Number one, uh, pray with confidence in God. As you're praying for the lost, pray with some confidence in God. Okay. And for this, let's go to First John chapter number five. Um, right before the book of Revelation, we have Jude, and right before that, we have the first, second, and third John. If you find First John chapter number five. And verse number 13 says, in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he, he says, John does, the reason I wrote this book is so that you would believe And that you would, once you do believe, that you would know you have eternal life. Okay? And then he says in verse number 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So as we pray for our loved ones and for our friends and family who do not yet know the Lord and pray for their salvation, let's pray with some confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Um, G- James 1, in verse number 6, we don't need to turn over there, it says, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. So as you ask the Lord, Lord, would you please save so-and-so, they don't know you. Please draw them to Christ. Ask in faith. Ask with some confidence in God. Instead of asking, can God save them? Switch it up in your mind and your heart and say, God can save them as you're praying. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 8, in, uh, in, in his instruction to Timothy regarding prayer, he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. But how are they supposed to be praying? Lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. So as we pray, Lord, my grandma's not saved. My uncle's not saved or my, uh, my parents aren't saved or whatever the case may be. Let's pray without doubting. But Lord, they're so hard, they'll never come to Christ. That, that's, that's not praying with confidence in God. It's like uh, in Acts chapter 12. We don't need to turn there. I'm just going to kind of remind us what happened in that particular chapter. There was a church family in Antioch there who was praying and had a really serious prayer request because Peter was put into prison. And, and that wouldn't have been such a big deal, but, but, but James was put into prison too, and he was, he was killed uh, for the faith. And so they thought, oh, Peter's next. And so they have a big prayer meeting. In fact, the Bible says that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And God was answering their prayer. Unbeknownst to them, they're spending this fervent time in prayer together. And uh, God was behind the scenes answering their prayer, pretty miraculously too, by the way, with that great earthquake, and, and Peter gets released, kind of thinks it's a dream, but then realizes, no, this is reality, God, God released me. And so he comes, to, he comes knocking on the gate of the house, and by the way, if you remember whose house that was, that was Mark's mom's house, uh, the Gospel of Mark, the, the author there, John Mark, that was his mom's house that uh, Peter came and knocked on the gate there. And so uh, a young girl named Rhoda goes and opens the gate and says, who's there? And, and uh, Peter's like, hey, it's me. And she's like, wow. And she just closes the gate there, leaving him outside, and goes back to the church family and says, hey, guys, I have an announcement. Peter's at the gate. He's been released. And you know what their response was? The Bible says, they said, thou art mad. They said, you crazy, girl. <laughs> you're just crazy. Uh, and then maybe she had a reputation for being a little, you know, every church has one of those. I happen to be the one in our church, okay? Um, in case you're wondering who, who that could be here, I'll just tell you it's me, okay? But uh, Rhoda may have that, had that reputation, you know, just being like, yeah, yeah, Rhoda is being Rhoda. But she, she was like, seriously, he's, he's there. And uh, the, the whole idea here is there was a lack of confidence that God would answer their prayer. They were too busy praying to really have faith in their prayer. And so I want to encourage all of us tonight to pray with confidence for the lost. Um, praying confidence in God for saving the lost. Uh, one day, George Mueller He was a tremendous uh, prayer warrior, and I've shared this a few times already since being here. But uh, George Mueller began praying for five of his friends for them to come to salvation. After many months, one of them finally came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Well, Mueller continued to persevere in prayer until his death for the fifth friend, and throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hoping that he would accept Christ and never gave up confidence that he would indeed come to the Lord. Well, his faith was rewarded, for soon after Mueller, Mueller's funeral, that last one was saved. So just an encouragement for all of us to continue having faith that God can and not wondering if God if God can. See, there's a big difference. So have faith in God. And when you pray for your unsaved loved one, friend, neighbor, person in your life, pray with confidence that God will save them. Number two. So pray with confidence. Pray Number two. Pray consistently with God's will. Pray consistently with God's will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will... He heareth us. So we know that uh, as we, if we know what God's will is in a certain situation, and we pray according to that, we know that God hears us. Um, Does He, you know, He, I'm sure He hears every prayer that we pray, but um, will He answer every prayer that we pray? No? Um, Lord, please give me a brand new. Ferrari. He may not answer that prayer right now because that may not be according to God's will. That may not be God's will for me now. Okay? Maybe next week. And uh, somebody will give me. A, I remember when I was a, a younger guy, um, a teenager, one of my uh, football heroes uh, drove a black with a chrome accent Mercedes Benz sedan. And I was like, man, I. I was, like, all into Mercedes, and so I wasn't praying for it, but uh, when my parents said, all right, well, Christmas is coming, you know, let us know if you want to do a little list, I put Mercedes-Benz on there. I, I think I was, like, 15, 16 years old, like, getting ready to drive, like, I'd like a Mercedes-Benz. And uh, so they shared that with my, with my grandfather, and he got me a Matchbox Mercedes-Benz <laughs> for Christmas, so... Uh, it, my 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 wish was granted. It just wasn't exactly how I thought, and and, and a lot of times that's the way it works with prayer too. Um, uh, but when we pray according to God's will, uh, the Bible says He hears us in verse fifteen, and we know that He hear. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. That's pretty amazing. Now, we know that God's will. Um, is that the lost would come to salvation in Christ. Part of God's universal will for all of our lives is that we would be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And the next verse says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. So God's desire and will for our lives is that we would be saved, and that we would come unto the knowledge of the truth. And we know that that's God's will. And so when we pray for lost people to come to Christ, we can have the assurance that we are indeed praying according to God's will. We are praying consistent with God's will. 2 Peter 3.9 is another reference. Uh, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. so again, here another uh, instance where we know that God desires that everyone would be saved. This idea that God only wants a certain certain uh, segment of the population to be saved is heresy um, that is that is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches what I just said here, who will have all men to be saved. Now, will only a certain segment of population be saved? Yes, just because that's the way it works. Some believe, some don't believe. But God does leave it up to us to choose. Now, He, in His sovereignty and foreknowledge, knows who is going to choose what, um, but He still puts the ball in our court and gives us the free will and the choice to choose to believe or not to believe. And as, as soul winners, as Christians, we don't know who those are. God does, but we don't, and he tells us still to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um, but we know that God's will, though, is that everyone would come to Christ. Now, is God desires that that would happen. Is that going to happen? No. Um, but we, we do know that his desires for people to be saved and to trust the name of his only begotten Son. And we are instructed to pray according to God's will and to pray consistent with the will of God. And when we pray for our unsaved loved ones to come to Christ or for the children that will be coming in uh, Vacation Bible School here in a few days, uh, for them to get saved, that is according and consistent with God's will. So as we pray for the lost, pray um, pray with confidence in in God, pray consistent with God's will. And then number three, Pray with a clean heart. Pray with a clean heart. This one is important as well. Um, If you would, turn over to uh, Psalm 24. Psalm 24. We're going to look at a couple uh, verses here in the book of Psalms under this thought but pray with a clean heart. Psalm 24, in verse number 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. And then the psalmist, David, does. He says in verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? In verse 4, the answer comes, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So there's a a real emphasis here on having a pure, clean heart as we come before the Lord. Um, A classic example of this occurred in a prayer meeting in the uh, Hebrides Islands, and I don't know if I'm saying that right off the coast of Scotland. Uh, there was a story there about Christians who had been really imploring God and asking God for some, uh, to send revival and an awakening in that, in that island. Well, Finally, during a prayer meeting, a, a, a 16-year-old teenager prayed according to what we just read in verses 3 and 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, and began getting his life right with God right there in that prayer meeting. And as he did that, as he prayed that, and and uh, made those decisions, others in that prayer meeting began getting right with God as well, confessing sin and and getting right with one another. And uh, before before they knew it, and this was this was a, like an all night I don't know an all night prayer meeting that they were planning. And uh, about midnight, God began to wake up some of the some of the residents in the island who were not part of the prayer meeting began waking them up and and having them come to the town square asking how they could be saved. And the idea was because these Christians were willing to get thoroughly right with God, God was then able to do what they were asking um, him to do. They were asking for an awakening. They were asking for a revival. and, And because they had gotten right with God and their hearts were clean, now God was able to really work. And so church family, we're getting ready to do VBS and uh, work very hard and give sacrifice some time and energy. I mean, next Wednesday night, we're going to all go, glad that's over. <laughs> um, it's going it, it, to be sacrifice. It's going to be tiring. But we're going to want God to use that time. We're not going to want to waste all of that energy when our hearts are not right with God. And so I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts and to make sure your heart is right with the Lord before we go into VBS on Sunday night. Make sure you have a time of confession and repentance between you and the Lord and that you're right with God so that He can use our efforts to reach these young souls for Christ. Uh, Let's not go into them uh, this week with, uh, with sin in our heart. We want to... We want to be praying uh, for souls to be saved, but we need to make sure that we have a clean heart as we do so. Psalm 68, verse number 18. If you turn over there real quick, this is the last verse we'll look at here under this thought. Psalm 68, verse number 18. That is not even close to the right reference. There's a reference in the Bible. There's a verse that says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 66 verse number 18. Is that right? There it is. Thank you. I put eight instead of six there. So Psalm 66 verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so I, as your pastor and as your brother in Christ, am imploring you tonight as we get ready to have VBS on on Sunday to make sure that there's not iniquity in your heart. Again, none of us are perfect. We all have, you know, but if if there's known sin in your heart that you have not dealt with, let's get rid of it. Let's deal with it before we have VBS, before we invite our community into our church. And try to give them the gospel. Pray with a clean heart. Make sure you're right with God because there's... I, 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 just, I just don't think God's going to really use us if, if we're not right with Him. And uh, I don't really want to go through all the effort and all the sacrifice um, without clean hearts. So please, everybody... Uh, Take some time between now and then to really deal with your heart and make sure it's clean. Number four, pray with a clean heart. Number four, pray in cooperation with others. Um, This is a quick thought here, and this is found in uh, Acts chapter number four, verse 31. Acts 4.31 says, uh, this is the early church there. And uh, this is right after uh, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And uh, verse 30, there was some persecution going on. And verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken together where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Um, They prayed uh, together. They were assembled together and they prayed together. They were in unity, in unison as they prayed with one another. And so the encouragement for us as we pray for VBS, as we pray for people to be saved, let's be united with the same spirit, the same mind as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. And then let's be in agreement with one another as we pray for the lost to be saved this coming week. Pray in cooperation with with others, and then last last thought here: uh, pray with a compliant heart. Sometimes when we pray for someone who is unsaved, we would say something like this: "Lord, I've got an unsaved coworker. Would you please send someone to go tell them the truth? I've got a family member who needs Christ. Lord, would you please send someone to?" talk to them and witness to them and give them the gospel. Lord, I've got a neighbor who needs to be saved. Would you please send someone? And while we pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and taps our heart or taps us on the shoulder and says, you know who uh, I'm sending to go do that? Uh, You'll find out if you go look in the mirror. Uh, Because perhaps... God does want to use you to be the one to go and witness. And uh, are we going to have that compliant heart as we pray? Lord, please, would you send someone else? <laughs> That's how I'm going to start praying now. Would you please send someone, not me, to go witness to them? No. Have a compliant heart, a willingness to be the answer, perhaps, to your prayers. A lot of times we... Put it off on someone who, someone random that we don't know, and uh, God does sometimes do that. But many times He wants to just use me and you. Um, Isaiah, I, I like Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number six. You don't have to turn over there, but um, here's what uh, God was kind of asking the question here. He said, uh, "Well, whom shall I send?" Who will go for us? You know, who who am I going to go send to go tell the people the truth? Who's going to go for us? And then Isaiah said, don't send anybody else. I I want you to go ahead and send me. I want to be that compliant heart. I want to have that compliant heart to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as I pray for the lost. So there you go, five... Ways we can pray for the lost. Um, i just like to end by saying this. Uh, Charles Finney, most of you have heard of him. He is a name most uh, known to most people who has studied the mighty movements of God in, our, in, in the country. A former lawyer turned preacher by the call of God, Charles Finney, was one of the key figures during the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century America which touched virtually every aspect of life in this country. Charles Finney is sometimes called America's foremost revivalist, and there's no doubt that God had his hand on him. The seven years in which Finney was an evangelist, seven years is all, but uh, what a mighty seven years they were. There was an estimated 500,000 conversions, so a half a million people came to Christ during those seven years of his uh, evangelistic ministry. His ministry in Rochester, New York from 1830 to 1831 has been called the greatest year of spiritual awakening in American history. Someone did a follow-up study of those reportedly converted under Finney's preaching and found that years later, 80% of those who made professions of faith gave evidence of true life change all those years later. But What's more, there were immediate effects felt in the social structures of entire cities and townships. By every standard we know that is extraordinary. How do you account for the effectiveness that visited this man in his ministry? Obviously, it's God, but to what can we attribute the amazing harvest that God accomplished from his preaching? If you were to ask Charles Finney, he will point to one man who partnered with him in his crusades. And that man's name was Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash joined himself to Finney for the purpose of prayer. When Finney was invited to speak in a city, Nash would arrive three or four weeks early, rent a room, find a small group of like-minded Christians to join him, and he started a public or a prayer meeting to plead with God for souls. Once the public meetings began, Nash usually did not attend he and his group instead would stay hidden away, agonizing in prayer for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to melt the crowd. On one occasion, Finney himself noted in his journal that when he arrived in a particular town for a revival, he was met by a lady who ran a boarding house. Brother Finney, she asked, do you know Mr. Nash? He and two other men had been in my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them because I could hear them groaning and I saw them down on their faces. They had been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in and I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see about them? Charles Finney replied, No, it actually isn't necessary. They just have a spirit of travail in prayer. Finney and Nash traveled thousands of miles together in prayer and proclamation of the gospel. Then in the winter of 1831, Nash took ill. And on December 20th of that year, while he was on his knees in prayer, he died at the age of 56. Charles Finney said of this dear friend and partner in ministry, he said, said a good man to me, Oh, I am dying for the want of strength to pray. My body is crushed. The world is on me. And how can I forbear praying? I have known that man to go to bed absolutely sick for weakness and faintness under the pressure. And I have known him pray as if he would do violence to heaven and then have seen the blessing come as plainly an answer to his prayer as if it were revealed so that no person could doubt it any more than if God had spoken from heaven. And I could keep reading here, but the, the idea is this. Finney was able to accomplish much, not because Finney was so great, Obviously because God is great, but also because there was a man who travailed in prayer and prayed for the lost. And as we get ready to perhaps have several lost children in here on Sunday nights and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday night of next week, um, I don't want to waste this opportunity and just go through the motions of VBS. I'd like to see God do something great. I'd like to see some of these young people come to Christ and not just get saved and make a little profession of faith and then go their way and live for themselves, but that God would really touch their hearts and change their lives. Um, But it's not going to happen if we don't pray, if we don't ask God for it. So, and I'm talking to a lot of the people who are going to be very busy ministering next week at VBS. While we have a couple days to prepare, um, let's make sure that we don't forget to pray and let prayer be part of the preparation process. I know we're going to do some decoration and get some more flyers out and uh, do work. That's necessary, but not more necessary than prayer. And so this doesn't just apply to VBS, though. It also applies to our unsaved loved ones coworkers, the neighbors that we see as we go out and get the mail. Um, Tonight, I have to take our trash can out to the street, and uh, sometimes when you do that, you see neighbors. We really can't forget to do it tonight because there are a couple dead frogs and a dead rabbit, bunny rabbit, in our um, trash can that Mark did not put into a plastic bag. So every time you open it up, it reeks the high heaven. I mean, you could probably smell it from here. Um, so we absolutely have to do that. But if I see a, a, a neighbor out there, hopefully I have a burden for them, uh, for, their, for their salvation. And again, as I pray for them, Lord, would you want me to go and uh, witness to them? Uh, the answer is probably yes. All right. Well, let's pray together, and, uh, and then we'll look at some of these prayer requests. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight. And uh, Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, these uh, precious people would catch the, the biblical truth here and the, and the spirit behind it. And Lord, I do ask that you would have your hand upon uh, our upcoming Vacation Bible School. Thank you for the privilege of doing it. Thank you for the freedom to do so. Um, We didn't get a chance to do it last year, but I'm grateful that we can this year. And uh, I pray, Lord, that we would not just go through the motions, but, Lord, your hand of blessing and power would be upon it, and that you would indeed change lives and save the lost. Lord, use us in a special way this coming week, and, uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be compliant. Lord, if you want us to go personally, um, even though we may not be the teacher or assigned to that particular thing. Lord, help us to be conscious of the children around us and be willing to talk to them about Christ. And Lord, help us to have a spirit of revival in our church. I pray, Lord, that there would be uh, clean hearts, that uh, we would, we would uh, do, some, do some good spiritual hygiene uh, this week. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to be right with you, thoroughly right with you, and that you might use us in a special way this week.